Sometimes how you start something is not as important as how you progress and finish what you started. Running a long-distance race is one of those times. For some people, a long-distance race is kind of boring to watch. But for me, it's somewhat intriguing. As the race begins, I like to watch those runners that come out of the gate really quickly to see, are they going to be able to keep that pace and actually win the race? Or are they going to begin to lose steam and grow weary? And before long, you see many of the other runners begin to pass them. I also like to watch for those runners whose start really isn't that impressive. They're kind of in the middle of the pack, but you notice as the race progresses that they just kind of get stronger. It seems like they just keep making up ground and they begin to pass the leaders. And finally, I like to watch the finish. Not so much for that photo finish or even who wins the race, but who has that kick at the end, who's going as hard as they can the very last hundred meters because they want to finish the race well. And that's the, the goal of running a race, right, is to finish. But the reality is many times those that start the strongest often don't finish. And the longer the race is, the more people that don't finish. You look at marathons and there's a percentage, depending on how hard the marathon is, of those that actually finish the race. But again, the goal of running a race is the finish. And so this morning we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That's on page 108, if you use the pew back in front of you. But we're going to look at this, and in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, the Christian life is compared to a race. Not a short race like a 100-meter dash, but a long race, a marathon, one that requires our endurance, requires our perseverance. You see, it really doesn't matter how you started the Christian life, whether you have been coming to church since you were in your mother's womb, or you've only been coming to church for a very short time and didn't grow up as a child coming. It doesn't matter if you put your faith in Christ when you were six years old, a teenager, a university student, or yesterday. What matters now is whether you're running, whether your faith is in Christ today, and whether you're growing in your desire and commitment to follow Jesus until the very end. And so my hope for us today is that as we look at this passage in Hebrews, that we will be spurred on, that we will be encouraged and exhorted as we start a new year tomorrow to keep going, to resolve to endure and finish the race of faith. You see, the book of Hebrews, one of the major themes that we find throughout it is this call to endurance. The letter was written to Jewish Christians who were being tempted to abandon the faith and to return to Judaism. Persecution and ongoing suffering was leading some of these Jewish Christians to walk away. And so the writer of Hebrews wanted to strengthen them in their faith. And so he directs their attention to Jesus, to who he is and what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, and to the future glory that would await them if they endured. And so the writer spends a significant amount of time developing and demonstrating how the glory of Jesus is greater than the glory of angels. It's greater than the glory of Moses. It's greater than the glory of the Old Testament law and the covenant that we find he made with Israel. He wants to draw their attention to Jesus so that if they, as they gaze upon his glory, their desire 
and their determination to follow him would only be fortified. It would only grow stronger. At the end of Hebrews chapter 10, just a few verses after what Jim wrote in verses 32 through 36, these believers are commended for how they began in the faith, how they began their race. But they are also exhorted that they must continue. They must endure toward the end. Listen to what the writer says to them. This is verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partakers with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property. Imagine that. In the beginning, they were willing, and they were joyfully willing to have their property plundered. Why? The writer says, since they knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. They needed endurance, and so do we. And so that's what I want to encourage us from Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. And so let's read this passage together and let's pray. Hebrews 12, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let us pray. Father, we, we come this morning, and we pray that you would use your word to accomplish your purpose in our life. We pray that you would conform our hearts and minds. We pray that you would conform us into the image of Jesus and that we would leave here encouraged to continue to believe, to continue to entrust ourselves to you because you are a God who always keeps his promise, who always watch over his people. And so, Lord, use your word and your spirit to accomplish that work in us this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The main verb in this passage we find kind of in the middle of verse 1, and it is, let us run. Not just run, but run with endurance, the race set before us. The other verbs and exhortations that we'll see in these verses really clarify how we are to run, how we are to finish the race that God has put before us. And we're not certain of who the writer of this letter is. Some think it's Paul. Some think it's a close companion of Paul. And one of the reasons they believe that is because Paul so often used athletic terms to describe the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Toward the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he states, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so running is a metaphor for how we live the Christian life. It emphasizes effort and exertion. And we know that we are not saved by our works. We're not saved by our efforts or our own righteousness. We are saved and made righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven and we are given the righteousness of Christ based upon what he has done. He, what he accomplished through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. However, the scriptures are clear in our sanctification. That is, our growth in godliness. Our being conformed into the image of Christ. Us being holy as he is holy in our practical lives, in our daily lives, we are called to participate. We are called to expend energy. We are called to, to put effort into this purpose. And it's not merely our efforts. It's not like Christ saved us and then just left us on our own. No, Christ works in us. His Spirit has been given to us to accomplish that purpose, and that is what gives us confidence to work. We are laboring with confidence that that God is going to sanctify us, that he is going to endure, cause us to endure until the end. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. In 1 Peter 1, we are told to be holy as God is holy, preparing our minds for action. But the basis of this is the fact that we have been ransomed from our feudal ways by the precious blood of Christ. That's what motivates us, that we have been saved motivates us to go work. And this exhortation to run with endurance is a reminder that the Christian life is not easy. I think if you've lived very long as a Christian, you you recognize that. It's not easy to follow Jesus. The road of sanctification is an uphill battle that requires some holy sweat and leads to exhaustion at times. Ephesians 6 tells us it's a spiritual battle that never stops. The devil is always prowling around, seeking someone to devour, tempting us to doubt God's goodness and question God's word. And so to endure and to persevere, we need a determination to keep going, to keep believing when things are hard. If you've ever run very far, you've experienced this. As you, you go, the farther you go, the more you want to quit, the tired you get. And yet if you have a goal in mind, if you're in a race, there's a finish line to reach. And this image of running with endurance also reminds us that, you know, really the Christian life, really, if you think of this as an image in your mind, we're, we're not on the beach on vacation. We're not up in the mountains on a retreat, enjoying uh, the mountain air. If the Christian life were easy, we would need no exhortation. We would need no encouragement to go. If you think about it, you don't go to a five-star hotel, and as you walk in, they greet you and say, well, I hope you can endure your stay here. No, you're, you're expected to enjoy it, to sit back and relax. But that's not what we're called to in the Scriptures as far as the Christian life. The call to endure implies that there will be temptations for us to give up, to quit, to grow weary, to get discouraged, and to lose sight of the goal of following Christ. 
Notice if you look back in the passage at 3, verse 3, this exhortation really is so that we may not grow weary and faint-hearted. And really what's being implied there is that we would grow so tired that we quit. We're of course going to get tired and weary in life, but God wants us to keep trusting and keep walking step by step. As we look back at verse 1, we will see that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This word race at its root is where we get the word agony. It signifies a place of battle or struggle. This word is translated in other places in the scripture as conflict. Philippians 1.29 and 30 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaging in the same conflict, that's the word there, race, engaging in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. When Paul speaks of fighting the good fight, that word fight is the word race. So it's translated race in our passage today because uh, the, the writer's using the word run before it. So kind of based on the context, the, the translators translated it race. But the idea is that difficulty is a part of the Christian life. And this is important for us to know. It's important for us to know that the Christian life is hard and that we must endure because that actually helps us to endure. It sets the right expectation for life. We are not surprised when hardships come and suffering comes and begin to question whether God is faithful, whether God is good, because we know that God uses suffering to produce something. Romans 5, 3-5 says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. So God is using the difficulties of life to produce character within us, and hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. However, there can be, if we're honest, a temptation to avoid suffering at all costs. We want life to be easy, and we want life to be comfortable. And in one sense, that's a right desire in ways, because we long for our heavenly home where there will be no suffering. We long to experience the glory of eternal life here and now. But the reality is, we still live as exiles, as strangers in a broken, sin-filled world. And we ourselves still have sin within us that we are fighting against every day, to put it to death. In Roman eight, Roman, Romans 8, a few weeks ago, we learned how we inwardly groan for the redemption of our bodies, being redeemed and being glorified. And so though we long for this life of ease, we must recognize that right now we're called to run a race of endurance, a grueling race, but it is a race that God has set before us. And though the race is hard, we don't run it alone. God has promised that he will be with us every step, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And he's also given us means of grace so that we run with strength, with wisdom, with power, so that we ultimately do endure, that we ultimately do cross the finish line. And so in these verses in Hebrews chapter 12, I think it, 
I think we see a pattern, some habits that we can practice that God has given us to help us to run to the very end. And so let's look at those. The first we'll see is remembering God's faithfulness to his people. Remembering God's faithfulness to his people. And and we see that in verse 1 where it says, Therefore, which points us back to chapter 11. And I think if you've been in church very long, you, you know Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith because it highlights the faith of those Old Testament saints. However, if you really think about it, what it points to most is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God to his people. You see, many people have faith in many different things throughout the history of the world. However, faith is vain if it's not directed at the right object. People can have faith in a lot of things. But what makes the Old Testament saints' faith valid and true and valuable is that their faith was in God. God Almighty, who always kept his promises to his people and always accomplished his purpose. And so they are the great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And the idea here is not that there's spectators in a stadium or there are people lined up on the street as people run marathons with signs saying, keep going. No, they are are witnesses to God's faithfulness. They are telling us that they've run the race and they have found that God is faithful and worthy to keep believing in and keep trusting As Hebrews 11 reminds us, our faith is not a blind faith. It's not wishful thinking. It is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This confident faith in God provides us the strength that we need, the hope that we need, that when we see a world that is is hard to look at sometimes, that we don't lose hope. And so we look back at these older saints We see what they experienced. We see how they endured in the faith, how God was faithful to them. And that gives us confidence to keep going. And we don't have time this morning to really look at all the ways that God provided what they needed and showed his faithfulness. But I would encourage you later today or tomorrow to go back and read Hebrews 11. And just let let that chapter be an encouragement to you. As a new year starts, let it be a reminder of God's faithfulness. And if we're going to be able to endure, this is a practice that we must put into our lives really every day. That we go to God's word and and we are reminded of who God is and what he is like. And so in the foyer at, at some of the tables, I put some Bible reading plans out. And you can take one of those just to help you kind of have a plan for how you read the scriptures this next year, or you can go on the internet, or you can create your own plan. But we should develop a habit of going to God's word and and reading and meditating on it to see how good our God is. See, God's word is not just to inform the mind, but it also is to warm the heart. It's to stir up our affections for Christ. So we, we have to think about what we're reading. You know, a Bible reading plan is not just to check off a box so that you feel like, oh, I did that for those type A people. Right? I, I did it. No, it's to spend extended time thinking about what those truths mean about the world we live in and who God is and what God is calling you to. And so kind of a, a good rule would be it is better to read a little bit and to spend a lot of time thinking about it than to read a whole lot and then really not think about it again. 
You see, as we read God's word, we're, we're asking God's spirit to conform us into God's image, the son's image, by using his word to, to reveal who he is and to reveal sin in our life and to call us to live according to his ways. And that requires us to really slow down. You know, in our, our world, things are so busy. And to read God's word and to meditate on it calls us to slow down, to, to marinate, and to allow God's spirit to accomplish his work in us. And so if we're going to run with endurance, we must regularly remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. We must listen to those witnesses that have gone before us. The second pattern, habit that we can put in our life is to remove what hinders our faith. If we look back at the passage, chapter 12, after it tells us that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That word to lay aside means to cast off, to remove, to put away. We are called here to remove weight from us that would hinder our endurance, hinder our run to finish the race. And the word weight here could also be translated hindrance or an obstacle and, and really has the idea of a, a mass or, or bulk of weight. And so you could think of it as you know, extra clothing, maybe someone with boots on. Or you could think about it just as uh, some extra weight on the body. So maybe somebody's gained an extra 10 or 15 pounds and that makes running a little harder. So one of the interesting things that, uh, about running is you don't find out what hinders your run until you actually start running. And so if you happen to have boots on or you happen to weigh an extra 15 pounds, you wouldn't fully understand how much that's hindering your race until you started the race. Walking in some boots, they may feel comfortable. Having an extra 15 pounds on as you go through your normal routine may not feel like that much extra weight. But as you begin to run, you'll begin to feel it and notice how it's hindering your faith. So in life, as we follow Christ, we will begin to see things that are hindering our walk with Christ, our run with Christ, our commitment to Him. And as we examine our lives and we see those things that are hindering our obedience and hindering our faith, we're called to set them aside. And the word here for weight really does not mean something negative per se. It's not sin. He distinguishes sin from this weight. It could actually be something good in your life. But regardless of it's good or somewhat neutral, what we see in this passage is that if it's hindering our faith, if it's distracting us from what's most important in life, if it, if it requires too much time and energy from us that we can't give to, to God, we can't serve God, we can't love God faithfully, then we're called to set it aside, to remove it from our lives so that we can run the race that God has set before us. And this is obviously also true of sin. The word, the phrasing there is, Sin which clings so closely, which really probably isn't the best translation that ESV did here. The CSB and the NASB speak of it entangling us. Sin that so easily entangles us, which kind of has the idea of it tripping us up. It, it keeps us, our legs from moving very well. It hinders our movement. And while the word sin here could be referring to just sin in general, any type of sin kind of hinders us and can trip us up in our walk with Christ. 
it probably is more focused on unbelief. Really, the, the writer here throughout the letter has been focusing on our faith and belief in God. And the use of a definite article here of the sin probably points us to unbelief. You see, unbelief in God ultimately leads to disobedience. If we don't believe what God has said, we will not obey him and we will not live according to his word. Because our beliefs at the end of the day, they determine our actions. And so the writer says, remove anything, anything in your life that hinders your faith. And so let me encourage you to take some time over the next week or so and examine your own life. Ask God to reveal to you what, what, what is hindering your faith and resolve to, to lay it aside. That's the hardest part. It, sometimes it's kind of easy to identify what's hindering us, but then we begin to justify why laying it down would be a bad idea or how we can kind of keep it off to the side and it not cause us to, to stumble or not hinder us in any ways. And if for some reason you can't figure out what's hindering your faith, maybe ask your spouse if you have one. Or a trusted friend, brother and sister in Christ. And if they're honest and tell you what they believe is hindering you, then ask them to hold you accountable, to set that aside so that you can faithfully run after Jesus. The third pattern habit that we can see is to resolve to encourage others in their faith, to resolve to encourage others in their faith. You see, this letter that was written is a, is a letter from a Christian to other Christians. And if you notice, he's collectively talking to them, let us lay aside, let us run. And so there's a collective nature to this exhortation. You see, part of our endurance in the Christian life includes the mutual encouragement and exhortations that we give and receive from other believers. We are in this race together. We're not competing against one another, but we want every brother and sister in Christ to fight the good fight, to finish the race well. And so we remind each other of what is true and right. We encourage each other in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of doubts. We build each other up and speak the truth in love. An African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I find that's true both in running and in life. A few weeks ago, a friend talked me into to going out for a run, and I hadn't run in a while. And it wasn't long before I was ready uh, to quit, to give up, take a little walk, and head back. But there was an intended goal. And because I was running with somebody, we were able to endure until we reached that goal that we had set. And that's true of the Christian life as well. And we have that very truth even stated within our church covenant. The fourth article of our church covenant says this, We will let the word of Christ dwell in us as we teach and admonish one another, serve where he has placed us in the body of Christ with our God-given gifts and talents, and nurture one another towards spiritual maturity as measured by the life of Jesus. So that is what we have committed to as members of First Baptist Canyon, to stir one another up, to encourage each other, to nurture one another towards spiritual maturity. 
In Hebrews 3, earlier in this letter, the writer exhorts them, Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will be no unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm unto the end. And so you can see in that exhortation his desire for them to finish to the end. And how do they do that? By encouraging one another every day, knowing that sin is deceitful and wants to trip us up. And so the body of Christ is a gift to us. It's a gift that helps us to keep going, to endure unto the end. And so let us exhort one another. May you resolve in this coming year and really every day of your life as a Christian to intentionally invest in others, to intentionally encourage them to keep going. And as others do that to you as well, collectively we will finish the race. The last pattern that we see, the last habit, is to remain focused on Jesus. To remain focused on Jesus. Looking back at our text, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, really, this is the culmination of all the other exhortations. It's the most significant means by which we endure in the faith. You see, the testimony of those Old Testament saints were intended to point us to Jesus, who was the fulfillment of all of God's promises. We're to lay aside the hindrances and sin in our life so that we may give our undivided attention and loyalty to Jesus. We're called to encourage one another, not just in general, but in our faith, that we would continue to believe in Jesus. And so all of this is to point us to Christ. And the word look here, it implies that we're taking our eyes off of other things to focus upon who Jesus is and what he has done. And that takes intentionality. Looking to Jesus doesn't just come naturally to us. It it calls us to be resolved and be intentional to look to him when worries and difficulties in life come, when we fear, when we are concerned about what's going on, when those things creep up into our minds and hearts. In those moments, we are tempted to focus on our situation. How can we get out of this? How can we make this better? How can we relieve the pain that we feel? But do you remember the account of Peter in in Matthew 14, walking on the water? Jesus has called him out of the boat. And as he steps out of the boat, his eyes at first, they, they remain on Christ. And so he's walking on water. But then Peter begins to look at the wind. And he becomes afraid, and he sinks. And as he's sinking, he cries out to Jesus to save him. And Jesus, in his compassion, his love, and his faithfulness, he does. He he reaches down, and he takes hold of Peter and brings him up and puts him in the boat. But in that moment, as he's saving Peter, Jesus says to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt, Peter? Why did the fear of the the wind caused you to lose faith? Why did you take your eyes off me and begin so focused on the world and so focused on your problems that you forgot that you serve God Almighty? That you're looking to 
the Son of God, who is able to do all things. And this is the call of our lives. Not to live by sight, by what we see, what we feel, we look around the world, but by faith in the Son of God. To look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the founder, the author, the champion, the chief leader of our faith. This word could be understood in two ways. One, Jesus is the source of our faith. He's the one who has run the the race perfectly for us. Or Jesus is the chief example of running the race. He is the pioneer who blazed the trail for us, and now he calls us to follow him as our good shepherd. And I'm going to take the and route. I think it's referring to both. Both he is the source, he is the author, and he is the example. He is the author of our faith who took on flesh, so that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He is the source, but he is also the example who learned obedience through what he suffered. And therefore he stands as our great high priest, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, because he has been tempted in every respect as we have, but without sin. And therefore he is able to provide everything we need, no matter what circumstances you're walking through right now. Whether you're right now on the mountaintop or you're in a valley, Jesus is able to provide all that you need. This passage also says he is the perfecter of our faith. He is the finisher. He didn't just start the race well, he finished well. He completed the work that God the Father sent him into the world to accomplish. He endured temptation, and he ultimately endured the shame and agony of the cross until he said, it is finished. He died in our place and for our sins that we might find our forgiveness and eternal life in him. And so when the worry, worries of life and the weariness of life come, we're called to look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to look up to heaven and recognize that Jesus Christ is now on the throne. And he is interceding for us. And he has sent his spirit to indwell within us, to give us the ability, to give us the power, to remind us of his truth so that we can run the race that he has set before us. And how was Jesus able to endure with joy what was set before him? You see, God had set before him a cross. It says with joy he was able to to endure that. Why? Because he looked past the cross to his exaltation. He looked past to see that God the Father would be glorified for his grace and mercy towards sinners, and that he would be exalted to the right hand, and that he would rule and reign as our great high priest, and that one day every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he was able to look past his present circumstances to see the glory the coming reward that awaited him. And we as God's people are called to the same thing. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so when you are tempted to lose heart, when you feel spiritually fatigued or discouraged, you're called to look to Christ and to consider Him who endured such hostilities against Himself so that you don't grow weary, so that you don't give up, but you are actually renewed in your faith. Brothers and sisters, we are called to run a race of faith, a race that's grueling at times, and yet it is a race that God has set before us. And He has called us to run, and He has called us to finish. And He has promised to be with us, promised to be our great King who watches over us, to be our protector, to be our provider, to be our good shepherd who leads us every step of the way as we continue to look to Him. My hope for all of us today in this room is that we will finish well, that we will finish the race of faith. It's one of the most disheartening experiences of the Christian life is seeing someone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus walk away from the faith. To have a friend, a sibling, a parent, a child, who at one point in their life, they made a profession of faith. They said they believed in Christ and what He had done. Maybe they were even baptized. But as time went on, as the race continued, they began to live for themselves and eventually abandon the faith. Or maybe to have a brother or sister who you once prayed with, who you once read the Bible with, who once encouraged you in your faith, you now look at them and they don't care about God at all. It's heartbreaking. I've experienced it. I know many of you have experienced it. And so my desire for us is that we would resolve to endure. That as a church we would resolve to exhort one another to keep going, to keep believing, to keep fighting this good fight of faith. From time to time, you, you will see these reports come out from churches, from Christian ministries. And really, they, they give you an account of how many people made decisions for Christ and how many people were baptized. And those reports, they, they should encourage us. We should rejoice when someone comes to faith in Christ and walks in obedience and baptism but as I've grown older, what encourages me most is seeing believers whose desire for Jesus only seems to grow stronger and brighter as they grow older. Older saints who were running hard after Jesus decades after making a profession to believe in Him. Seeing those reports and that they give, I really wish they would add a line. I think it's fine that they add salvations and and baptisms, as long as those don't become the main focus. But I wish they would add a line labeled, finished the race. And it would include all those who fought, fought the good fight of faith, who kept their faith to the very end. And they would be added to that number. Because what a celebration that would be. If someone finished the race well, and now they're in glory with Jesus, because that is our aim. That at the end of our days, when we stand before the Lord, we will be full of faith in Jesus Christ. And we will hear from Him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master.
And so as a new year starts, let's keep pressing on in faith, brothers and sisters. Let us constantly remember God's faithfulness to his people as we read and meditate on his word. Let us lay aside all that hinders our faith. Let us encourage one another to keep going. And let us always, let us always look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we do not grow weary, but we finish the race God has set before us. Let us pray.